Hi, everyone. Just a quick little intro before today's beautiful episode. I had so much fun with this guest. Uh, learned a lot. And yeah, I just love these soul-connecting moments on the show. Always uh, makes my heart smile. Um, so yeah, yesterday, January 25th, 2024, my book launched. Yay! So it is called The Caregiver Chronicles, and it was uh, released by me and 21 other authors. There were 22 of us together that uh, we each wrote a chapter. Mine is chapter 21 when you go purchase the book uh, on paperback or download it on Kindle uh, on Amazon. But it launched uh, number one in paperback and new releases um, and number two in Kindle and new releases. Yes, number one in new release in aging parents category. So yeah, it's so cool to see number one new release. Uh, it also hit number one in elder care, also hit number one in parent and adult child relationships. So very exciting stuff. Um, yes, so we're having a book launch party um, tomorrow on Saturday, January 26th. So yeah, come join us. We'd love to have you there. Authors are going to read uh, bits of chapters. Um, and I believe we're doing a book giveaway as well. Um, and we'll have a question and answer as well. Lots more to share, but I will, uh, I'll save that for next week. So, so we can get to today's episode. All right. Enjoy the show. Welcome everybody to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and I am super excited to have with me today, Jacob Norby, and he is a writer, creative guide, and so much more. So welcome, Jacob. Thank you so much, Terry. I love the name of your podcast. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I hear that often. And, you know, it truly is. Uh, I just had talked to you a few minutes before we hit record that there's just such a need. People are just out there seeking for hands to hold and, and guides, which I love it that, uh, you know, you're a creative guide um, with light and love and hope and healing. And so, yes, it's just such a gift that you offer others. So thank you. Um, so speaking of that, what is your role as a creative guide? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's actually a great question um, because I, there's a distinction for me between I'm not I'm not a therapist or a clinician in that way, um, and also there are so many people who hold the role of coach in this world, and that's really a powerful role and very needed. And what I've discovered is that the work I do with people tends to be a lot more like depth psychology, where we are. Um, sitting together and working with their own intuition. So it's not me telling them, here's how to be modify your behavior so you get a certain outcome. It's more of a, let's go inward. Let's find out what your true values are, who you really are. And then we work from that because Terry, so many people show up with the goals or the values that were handed to them from a very early age. A lot of times between the age of zero and eight, which I'm sure you know, um, these things get implanted and we walk through the rest of our lives being guided and often even controlled by things that when we go into self-discovery, we just, we find, wow, the life 
I know I'm meant to live is different than the one that I've been living. And so that to me is such an honor to sit with people and sort that out. Oh, I love that. You know, I just was talking the other day and this is it, whatever reason it popped back into my head when my mom used to introduce my sister and I, when we were kids, hmm. she would always say, this is Terry, the smart one, and this <laughs> is Katie, the pretty one. And oh so yeah. we grew up like not, I didn't hear so much that I was smart as, oh my God, I'm the ugly one. <laughs> it was like, you know, we wow. were just told. And so my sister, we, you know, we would talk about this through the years that she just didn't give herself enough credit because she's brilliant. I mean, yes, she's incredibly artistic. I was talking about her artwork, but she's so smart. Um, and she's just now headed back and working on finishing up a degree with plans to go on and get a, a, even a, a, you know, higher uh, her master's after that. So um, yeah, you're right. Like we carry around almost like those labels, those things we've been told about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. When we really go into discovery on that, Terry, it's, you know, we find that we're wearing so many hats in life or so many roles or masks, whatever we want to call those things. And so often, like you just said, here's the smart one, here's the pretty one. And also how those roles or labels are internalized, you know, and I'm, I know, you know, that we have humans, we have this interesting negativity bias. So it makes it so much easier for us to select and then focus on the things that we don't love or the things that reflect back poorly to us. It's much easier to say, yeah, I'm just not very good at that, or I'm not very creative, or I'm not very, whatever the I'm not very is. And we tend to focus on those details rather than the rest of the value that we show up with, you know? Oh, for sure. I said, I always joked, I couldn't draw a straight line with a ruler because <laughs> I just, I always compared, like my dad was an incredible artist and he could draw, oh my gosh, he could draw, he'd draw cartoons and draw such great pictures. And I was in awe. And then my sister, obviously phenomenal. And so I would just be like, oh my gosh, look at this clay, little clay pot I made in fourth grade art class that's like crooked and, <laughs> and looks horrible. And in my mind, you know, so yeah. And I, but I love it that you, one of your missions is to, like to help people unlock their creativity and to, to discover it's not just about, oh, can you draw? Oh, can you um, make a piece of pottery? It's about so much more than that. Yeah. In fact, I'd love to, everyone listening right now, if you just, unless you're driving uh, or changing a baby's diaper or something dangerous, um, Maybe close your eyes and just take one long, deep breath with me. Just breathe in and breathe out. And as you feel that, understand that you're paying, you're bringing attention to your life force, the feeling of being alive, of breathing. And imagine your body where part of your body didn't get blood flow or the flow of oxygen into it. What would happen to that part of your body? It would begin to atrophy and die. And a tree, if the sap doesn't flow through every limb and twig and branch, that part dies. And so I want, if you can imagine that that life force that you're feeling as you breathe, that prana, that is the creative force. That's what makes your, your eyes light up. And it's what spins galaxies. And it's meant to flow through every part of your life. And so as you breathe just a little bit more, I want you to just let your imagination and your attention select some places in your life that don't feel artful. 
And as you breathe, imagine that that creative force in you wants to flow into those areas and restore them, heal them, bring them into joy. And with that in mind, understanding that creativity isn't an attribute, it's an experience. It's not just a word, it's a feeling. You can begin to become the artist of your life in every area, not just in one little thing called painting or writing or drawing or singing or whatever we call creativity. It's a deeper force than that. And it's meant to flow through every part of your life. Well, that's so beautiful. And I have to say, I kept seeing photographs, photography, mm -hmm. the camera, like that, that was so cool. But it's like, it was like capturing little snippets of life and beauty. And that, so as you were talking, it was like, oh yeah, it's like, in my mind, I mean, my, my vision was that we, as we travel along, at least I travel along, I've learned a lot of mindfulness and I practice mindfulness. And so stopping to just enjoy that little ladybug on the leaf or the dragonfly mm. flitting through the air. So, but capturing it with my camera and my mind. <laughs> yes. Carrie, I love that you take photographs. I, um, when I go out, I live in Boise, Idaho, and there is lots of um, hill trails and lots of nature nearby. And one of my great delights is to go and, and hike or walk through that, especially this time of year um, when the colors are changing and taking photographs. Sometimes I would criticize myself for that and say, I should be just being very present in nature. And one thing I realized it's possible to take a photograph just to post on Instagram. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's also possible to use that camera lens as a tool, as a device to pay deeper attention to life. And that's what I heard you just saying. Yes. Yeah. It, it truly did help me. And I had that same conversation The mm. oh, I should be just enjoying <laughs> this moment. But then I said, no, I, I love the idea of capturing because truly like I would zoom in on a flower petal and see things that I wouldn't normally see with just my, the naked eye. Yes. And say, oh my gosh, look, I can see the pollen. I can see, or I'd see a bumblebee with its little bumblebee butt sticking out and be like, oh, I can see the pollen specks on it. Like, that's so cool. I was, I'm, uh, I'm being reminded as you're talking of this little bit from Mary Oliver, Terry, when death comes and she says, I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited the world. And what you just described is that. It's the bringing attention to a moment, a an experience. And by doing so, we make it sacred. We make We make it open up itself to us. My brother and his wife right now are reading a book on Eros. And um, it's so exciting to watch him embrace this idea that we can be making love. Like that energy, we often think of it as sexual or something like that. And it is. But in addition to it, you know, and in the Eastern uh, traditions, the second chakra is where sexuality is, is housed. It's also where creativity is housed. And so it's so interesting to realize that we can um, enter into life and begin making love to all the parts of our lives. We can begin to be turned on by a sunrise, by a conversation uh, at work, by a moment like this with you and me connecting and talking about things that matter. We can actually be turned on and begin to make love to life more and more. And to me, that is the underlying essence of 
creativity. Oh, I love that because it's passion and it's love. Yeah. And it's, I mean, love is the life force of the universe, right? And so, yes, <laughs> yes just being able to, I don't know, like, like just almost like caress with our minds, these, these beautiful moments and these uh, experiences. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I, I said, you talked about mountain trails. My son, John lives in Denver. Um, and so mm. he, he loves the mountains and hiking and camping and all of that fun stuff. But when I was on your website and reading up on you and uh, stalking your page, and I, it just so made me smile because it so made me think of my son. And it was said something about how you love hiking trails and tacos. <laughs> and like, oh, my gosh, it's so true. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, Terry. Um, my life turned upside down very dramatically in 2008 and nine. And I had been on this course of really chasing down um, goals and dreams, such as becoming a very wealthy entrepreneur in the financial services area. And I kept waking up at three o'clock in the morning, terrified. And I couldn't figure out why, because I had all the things I had just built this beautiful new office and I moved into a new home and everyone around me said, you're so successful, you're on your way. And I thought, I wonder why I don't feel that. I wonder why it feels terrifying. I wonder why I feel so stuck and off track. And a whole bunch of events, series of events um, conspired to during the financial meltdown to wipe all that out. And I had the chance to move to Austin, Texas, with my then wife and three little kids without jobs, without anything. And go to a place where I wasn't known by anyone else as, as anything else. And I got to discover who I really am and what really mattered. And it was a fascinating. And I would love to say it was so easy and bright. No, there were many, many moments of darkness and confusion and what is going to happen. Will any of this ever come back together? Um, and I'm sharing that right now to say that sometimes it's easy for people when they hear words like joy or creativity or something like this. It's like, oh, that's nice. That would be nice for those people when they have the luxury of extra time or money or whatever it is. And the truth is what I discovered there in Austin, where at times I was taking things to the pawn shop to put gas in my car for the weekend. And I was working two or three part-time jobs as I began to start writing. What I began to discover though, is that that was actually the first time in my life I felt free. Um, and I felt free to find out who I really am and that's where it really began to dawn on me that these, you know, in the book, we talk about the three enemies of creativity, socialization, uh, fear of rejection, and those are conjoined twins, and then traumatic experiences. And the socialization part, even if we grow up in a family that's supportive and there's enough money and everything's stable, um, we still enter socialization before we even learn our own names of saying this is who you are this is what's possible for you this is what isn't possible for you and so we begin to internalize those beliefs you know and we often find ourselves at 35 or 40 or 45 or some age like that waking up inside of a life that doesn't feel true doesn't feel real and it feels so full of obligations and agreements we've made there's marriages there's business partnerships partnerships there's debts, there's all these things. And we feel like there's no way out of those things and to find a path towards something that feels more real. And I'm sharing this bit of it to say that creative energy that lives in you and me and all of us 
wants to. It actually wants to find a way to help you tang untangle all of that and find a way forward that feels so deeply real. Amen. Yes. <laughs> this, I mean, this podcast is a is a form of creativity, yes. and it just it just I stumbled upon it. But everything just kept aligning and aligning and aligning and aligning. And I call it my soul work because truly yes. this is what sets my soul ablaze. Like this is what <laughs> I get excited about. Like I wake up and go, oh, I have a podcast interview today. <laughs> like I'm like, all it right. Shows, like, Terry, it shows. <laughs> it's eight o'clock in the morning for me. And I've told you I'm getting ready for this big retreat with Anne Lamott and Julia Cameron Sark and these wonderful Alex L. And um, so my my sleep has been disrupted quite a bit lately. I woke up this morning and checked my calendar. I said, oh, my God, how did I agree to showing up at a podcast eight o'clock in the morning right before I get on the plane to do this retreat? And then I and then I um, came down here and I'm sitting with you. It just felt like it felt like the sun came out. So no. I just want to say that what you just said about it being your soul work, it's palpable. It shows it. I can feel it. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I just, again, I, I feel so blessed to be doing this and to be um, sitting in this space with, again, beautiful souls like yourself who, who are just lighting up the world too. And so I, I, I don't know, there's just like this magical pool, call it, you know, uh, angel whispers and or God or universe or whatever you call it, <laughs> higher source. Mm -hmm. It just, uh, it pulls it all together. And I love that. So yeah, me too. Hey, everybody, Terry Welbrock here, just taking a moment's break to talk to Scott Summers, who's my friend slash neighbor here on Hilton Head Island and senior vice president of Symmetry Financial Group. Uh, and he's, gosh, the founder, I guess, of uh, the Summers Agency. And I love it that it's the hashtag the greatest team ever assembled. So very modest. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So Scott's here to talk to us today uh, about, I know this is the Healing Place podcast, but as all of you know, who are listening in uh, for a longtime fan of the show, and for you, those of you who are new, we talk about ways to help ourselves. And this is just such an amazing opportunity for Scott to come on and, and talk, about, talk about some ways we can not just help ourselves, but help our families. So welcome, Scott. Well, I'm so happy to be here, and um, I really appreciate the partnership. And and wow, be, be, I feel like part of the family. So thanks, oh. thanks for having me here. And you know, speaking of healing, it's you know doing working in the business that I've been in for the last almost almost a decade now. Um, you know, there's there I, you get to see healing of different sorts, right? You know, whether it's um, people recovering from uh, you know some type of significant health issue or losing a family member or um, you know, uh, trying to, to correct uh, the debt issue that they have in their family. So uh, we get to help in, in different capacities there with healing. For those that don't know, I was I was an agent back in the day uh, when I lived in Ohio and did that for a decade, managed an agency. And uh, this has come across my radar. And so I, I decided to obtain my um, life and health license here in South Carolina. So I am I am back in business. I love how Scott said to me the other day, he was like, the open sign is over your head, Terry. So <laughs> yeah, it's and I think that your genuine, um, you know, your genuine feeling of wanting to help people is really what's going to, you know, um, help you and, and, you know, with this, uh, this business of, of um, you know, being able to incorporate this into working with folks that you work with on a daily basis. 
Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, it's just been such a great opportunity. I'm super excited by it. And, you know, I call it my soul work because it doesn't feel like work when I'm doing something that that is helping others, uh, whether it's my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter or this podcast or narrating, you know, books on healing or have a new book coming out January 25th and uh, for called Caregiver Chronicles. And that's really going to really have an impact on a lot of people who are in that caretaking role for loved ones. So this is kind of a great conversation for you and I to have too, because really we're caretaking for our family and loved ones. And when we make sure that we have things in place, um, should something happen to us? All right, well, let's dive into some stuff. Let's let's talk about some specific products. And folks, you can keep tuning into episodes and I'll put snippets out about the different products. So it'll one way for you to keep coming back and, and joining the show, not that you don't already, but uh, you can you can listen in um, mid conversation before conversation. I'll, I'll be putting putting these uh, snippets of conversation out. So first, let's talk about uh, mortgage protection. Yeah, I think it's a great additive to the portfolio. Um, and sometimes people get mortgage protection uh, confused with mortgage insurance. Mortgage insurance is something that you have to have really to protect the bank in case of you default on a loan. Uh, mortgage protection is really um, uh, something to add to the portfolio when you take out that big loan, you do just did that refinance. And um, it's it's it could be a large burden on the family. And sometimes people have life insurance maybe already in their portfolio. The vast majority of people we speak to already do have some type of life insurance, whether they own the policy or it's through work. That mortgage protection policy is there to kind of make sure that the family's not there holding the bag, uh, you know, per se, if something were to happen. So uh, we can set something up that would uh, pay that mortgage off should something happen. And this was something that some of the banks years ago, up until about 10 years ago, would actually add into the mortgage and it would be kind of part of the loan. And as you were paying down the loan, it would be a like a, a decreasing term policy. Uh, when they stopped doing that, they were for you know, people like us that can um, help you know, kind of go through the different um, avenues, uh, the different carriers now that offer insurance coverage. They all said, hey, I'll, we'll offer insurance coverage. And now we can put a policy in place that would cover the mortgage. Oh, that's so fantastic. Okay. Well, everyone, thanks for, for listening into our, our little, um, very informative, wonderful conversations with Scott Summers of the Summers Agency here on Hilton Head Island. And again, go to terrywellbrock.com. You can find out more information and click some tabs if there's anything specific you want to know about. And uh, um, I will be in touch with you. And yeah, now back to the show. So, yeah, so you are a writer. I have your book, one of your books here, <laughs> The Creative Cure, which is pretty awesome. I loved your note that you wrote me inside of it. I'm going to put it on my socials later, guys. So okay, cool. check it out um, with links to how to order it. So you've written a number of books, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so The Creative Cure, is that a guide for folks to what kind of what we just went through of really mm. closing their eyes and, and going through the process of, of finding what their thing is? Oh, that's a great question. Yes. I feel like it's that Terry. And what's interesting is my first book was called the divine arsonist and it was autobiographical. It's a novel, but it was deeply autobiographical. And that was 
trying to share this incredible experience of waking up inside of life and like the story I just shared about myself, you know, like, oh my God, how do I, how do I ever navigate towards something that feels true? The second book was called Blessed Are the Weird, a manifesto for creatives. And that one came from this Blessed Are the Weird poem that I wrote. And in Austin, I pulled over beside the road and these words just kind of came out and I found an old bill underneath the seat and wrote it down real quick. Um, and eventually, uh, you know, I had shared a lot of things, Terry, but that one started being shared millions and millions of times. And eventually I realized there's a lot in this little poem that needs to be talked about, that needs to be explained. So I wrote the book, Blessed Are the Weird. This one, this the creative cure is the one that feels the most um, prescriptive or the most, here's, let's walk through the process together. Um, and so I, I view each of these as kind of my own journey of self-discovery, self-acceptance, transformation. And so this book was one that, I, tr I uh, published traditionally and it was difficult for me because that form of writing is not as easy for me, you know, with, you know, very specific points and chapters and then exercises. So that one actually required a lot of work and a lot of help from my publisher and editor to bring it into that form. And I feel grateful that it's, it's meant to be a very simple guidebook. Yeah. Yeah. I've been writing my memoir for 10 years. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's, as I write it and put it out there, when I, when I write, I'm just like, Bleh. like, I'm just, I put it out. Right. And then I'll, I'm like, oh, I'll do the editing later. So it's been, that's been the process, but mine is one of horrific trauma. And so releasing that is very cathartic yes. um, for me, but it, everybody's kept saying, why is it taking you so long? I'm like, it's a process. And you know, my mom was still alive. My mom just passed on my birthday this year in March. And um, mm. it was that final stamp of approval. Like she was like, Terry, it's time. It's time. Because I kept telling her, mom, it's going to be our ugly truths. <laughs> it's going out into the world. So, um, yeah, so it was nice. But, yeah, I understand, like, there is that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I had I had gone to a Hay House writing conference and mm. um we, I had submitted the manuscript or well, actually it wasn't a manuscript. It was uh, like a, it was one chapter and yeah, like the feedback I was getting from editors and so forth and how like, Oh, it has to fit into the square box. And my writing is so <laughs> not square boxish. <laughs> well, and I love Terry. I love that. And one thing you said just reminded me, my father died as I was writing my first book also um that was 13 years ago yeah and we had ha we had had a lot of healing in our relationship terry but there was still there was still the stuff there i i didn't feel as bold about writing and sharing the things that i needed to even though the book didn't have anything critical about him there was something his presence was so uh such a force and a, such a sort of critical force in my life that when he died i felt much like what you just said i felt this vast relief of I wasn't relieved that he had passed, but I was relieved that it was now time for me to step into myself in a new way without him looking over my shoulder in that way. Yes. Oh, that's so true. I've, I've experienced that same feeling almost. <laughs> and again, my sister and I've talked about it, like just this, oh, this yeah. sigh of relief. Again, yeah. I miss my mom and I tell her every day, I miss you, mommy. <laughs> like I miss my, <laughs> that's little me talking. Like I miss yeah. my mom, Yeah. but there, there, there was just that, that yeah. weight lifted yeah wow i have two things terry 
because so many people, and we're working with this retreat we're doing in Santa Fe, people can join us online. And so we have literally thousands of people from around the world, either in person or online. And it's, I, I love this. And so many are writing memoirs and so many are writing memoirs because the, that was the story of how they transformed, of how they healed. And that means revisiting the scenes of things that were very painful. Um, and what I will often encourage people to do if they're writing a memoir, and this is not direct advice to you, but I want to share it with everyone because I know so many people have a story to tell and so many people feel hindered. Like if I tell this whole truth, it's not safe. It will not be safe in the world. It'll hurt my relationships. It'll hurt people. Uh, I care about, even though they've done things, you know, with me and to me that um, weren't great. And so one thing that helps a lot with the first draft um, and it's helped me over and over again, I still need to remember this, is the first draft is I'm telling the story to myself. This is where I have the courage and the freedom to tell the story just to myself. That way it doesn't have to come out perfectly. It doesn't have to come out ready for the world. And the second draft, I'm telling the story to myself again. And the third draft, okay, now I'm telling the story where I've told it enough times to myself that I feel like I can tell it to a stranger or a friend. Um, and so holding a draft in that way has been really freeing for me to realize I don't have to write it well the first time. In fact, to try to do that will freeze it up. And Anne Lamott has this amazing bit from her book, Bird by Bird, where he's, she's talking about when people are so afraid of writing about the things that happened to them and, and it might hurt the people. She says, you own everything that happened to you. Tell your stories. If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> she was teaching a little mini class the other day, um, you know, and we were we were, we had done a, a bird by bird book club, and she popped in as kind of a guest appearance right at the end, and people were so I was so everyone was so excited. Um, but people were asking her that very thing, like, how do I deal with writing a true story? But then, you know, I mean, this is putting it really putting our dirty laundry out there. And she said, oh, honey, here's the thing. People don't really pay attention very much. So she said, what happens is you take a character and you rename them and you give them a different color of hair. And she's like, she's like, all the years I've been writing, I've done that with certain characters who really needed not to be outed as a horrible person. I just changed their name and changed a little bit about them. And she's like, I have never one time had the people, the very people I was writing about that felt so obvious to me. I've never had one of them call me and say, what the hell have you just done? She's right? like, people honestly do not know. <laughs> that is so good to know because truly, I mean, you like, you just changed my world uh, with those words <laughs> of wisdom uh, because I have feel like I just kept, kept stumbling over myself because I've been given this message that, oh, your story needs to be out there to you. Like, it's such a phenomenal, it's just an intriguing story of triumph. And Terry, it does. The world Thank needs you. it. The world needs it. The world needs it. And so I've been trying to write for the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and people like you and me, and we've read a lot of books and we've studied a lot. And that becomes its own barrier, I think, because we're reading the finished work of so many amazing writers and teachers out there. And so it's, it's so hard to imagine that this pile of messiness that I'm doing as a first or second draft could ever turn into that. And so we, there's that part we're holding with both hands. Like I want to be free and write it for myself. 
and I'm also realizing this will eventually be out in the world. And I think that that was one of um, Stephen Pressfield's greatest contributions to me um, from one of his books, the, the the War of Art, I think. Um, when he l- let it slip that he's like, most novels that you read on the shelf has been, have been rewritten 14 to 15 times. Um, that sounds daunting when we think, oh, I have to rewrite the whole thing 14 or 15 times. But he said, it's not that. He's like, you're telling the story to yourself the first time, second time, the third time. Now you're telling it again, but you're reshaping it. Now you're bringing your logical mind into it to to make it make better sense or to serve the purpose. Um, and I, I really love that. It relaxed my shoulders a lot when I realized, I don't know why we carry around this crazy myth that um, good, good writers or great writers simply sit down and write the perfect thing all at once. It's like, no, no, literally nobody does that. <laughs> right. It's so yeah. true. Well, you see these, I see these ads pop up on Facebook. I wrote my book in two weeks and I'm making <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, how? <laughs> Those are the people who are trying to make you pay a lot of money to write a book. <laughs> right, right, right. And I'm falling for the ad. <laughs> well, it's seductive. It's like I'm in the middle of this thing that feels really hard and slow. If this person's saying I can use a magic bullet and suddenly have my bestseller written in, in 45 minutes or whatever. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I could sit here and talk to you for, I'm sure, days on end. But and I have to tell you, when you said Sark sitting over on my on my corner, I'm gonna go grab it just because, and I can edit Please. me out in just a second. The bodacious book of succulents by Sark. Oh my god! So it's like the pages literally are filled with like <laughs> my writing along with hers. So just Hang tell on, her I said that, hi. Hold that up, Terry. No, keep holding it if you don't mind. I'm going to take a quick screenshot because I'm going to talk to Sark in a little while here. And when I do, I want to show her this. That will touch her heart so much. <laughs> oh, please tell her I said hi and I love her book so much. I mean, I just, she, I she really helped me in a lot of ways back in the early 2000s. And um, <laughs> yeah, really, really helped um, me survive some really, really difficult stuff. So, Well, and you know, Terry, that's the medicine we're talking about writing through the things and sharing them. Um, you, you, as you know, Susan Sark lived through horrific trauma as a child. And I love, I was in her magic cottage in San, San Francisco a, a couple of months ago. And I love the medicine that she carries with her. And that's because she chose to alchemize all of that pain and then begin to share the alchemy, the actual essence of the healing and um so i don't want this to sound like direct advice but please write your book terry the world does need it (laughs) oh you got me too oh i will thank you well and to everyone here if if your thing isn't writing if it's not art if it's not you know in some way i just want to i just want to say that your aliveness you coming into who you really are and becoming more alive inside of your life that's medicine when you walk out of your house, let's say that you never have a creative endeavor like writing a book or making a movie or whatever we think that is, but you begin to take this sensibility, this consciousness into the next interaction with your child, into the way you prepare your meal, into going out back and watering your flowers. And let's say you walk out your door and you never talk to one person about becoming a more creative, alive person. You simply are that. You be it in the world. Your presence is medicine. 
you spread health around you. And this is a biological fact, Terry, that the energy, the power in a healthy cell is multiple times that of a diseased cell. And one cell in a body coming into its health begins to spread health to the other cells that's connected to naturally without even trying. It's just a natural process. It's biology. And I just want every one of us, if we can remember this as we go through our days, the more that I bring health, healing, joy into myself, I actually then walk out into the world and become the medicine this world needs. And I don't have to go out to change the world. I simply need to be in my own health, my own joy. Love, love, love that message because it is my mom was the most Catholic human I'd ever met in my entire life, but she loved St. Teresa. And it was her, her message was, um, that, you know, to, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot. My, right now, my mom is just bas- shaking her head like, Terry, I can't believe it. I'm even named after St. <laughs> Teresa. Like, uh, but it, it's it's doing, oh, do um, little things with great love. And so it's just about like doing, just just existing and in, in doing what, what other people might think are little things. Like, again, like you said, watering your flowers or whatever it is but you do it with great love and it does, it just radiates it, You know, we're all connected in this energy. So yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I certainly have just feel very blessed to have you here today and meet with you and sit with you. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for the opportunity, Terry. It's one of the great joys of my life to, um, to reflect, to reflect, the truth and the beauty of those around me, you know, look in this mirror and realize that no matter how many different ways the world tells you, you're not enough, you're not safe. You don't belong here. Look in this mirror. It's not me. It's you, you know? And so the more people I feel like if we can go out into this world with that sensibility, with that understanding that who I really am is enough. And the moments I spend each day connecting to that, even just for a few moments of mindfulness or journaling or whatever it is, that actually helps me remember who I really am. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I know you've given us so many tidbits and wonderful words of wisdom, but is there any anything else that you wanted to touch upon that we haven't had a chance to yet? Hmm. Probably only that I have this creative self-journaling practice that's no cost, and I'll, I'll give you a link you could put in show notes if you want to. I would love to invite people to download it and use it. It's a very simple process. Um, and people who do morning pages, you know, the artist's way or other things, you don't have to replace, you don't have to do both. Uh, I had Julia Cameron look at this process and she said, oh my God, yes, of course, people can do that in morning pages. It's three simple questions, but I also have a guided visualization. And part of the reason that came up right now, it's like, hmm, wonder why those are last words. It's because I, I love to offer people genuine practices things they can experience in themselves because you know like Carl Jung said most therapy never reaches below the level of the chin most of it stays in our heads and so if you're wanting to pull the thread of who you really are of your creative nature of asking yourself what would I love to create in my life rather than just talk about it I want to offer you this small gift so that you can begin to experience that and find the answers and the wisdom and the and the creativity inside of yourself Oh, that's wonderful. And again, I know we're going over our 
allotted half hour, but I so have to share this with you only because I'm I'm feeling intuitively moved to do so. Mm. So after my dad had passed in in uh, 2009, I got a message within within probably six or seven months of him passing. A friend said, "All right, don't think I'm weird, but." your dad gave me a message that mm. there's uh, a message for you in the blue book. And I was like, a blue book. Oh my gosh. My dad was such a reader and writer. And I was like, oh, we're going to find, I had, I had boxes, one boxes of books. So I was going through these boxes and shaking books, you know, like trying to find, <laughs> couldn't find anything. So then I said, uh, and he wrote on in every, like he wrote in his books and uh, like in, in every margin, every page. And I was like, how am I going to find this? Unless it's highlighted in yellow and says, Terry, <laughs> pay attention. So I let it go. And I'm not kidding. Like I just said, God, I'm just <laughs> going to put it in your hands when it's meant to find me. It will. Maybe like two or three years later, sitting at my desk, writing my book, had my feet up on my desk and I was like, oh, I really need some inspiration. I just, oh, I feel so stuck, blah, blah, blah. And I looked over and on my bookshelf, a bunch of little knickknacks, but I saw the top of a blue book. Mm. And so I said, oh my gosh. And so I like pushed everything aside and pulled this book. It was my dad's, he was a Jesuit brother for eight years and it was his, it was his New Testament. And it was just this blue, solid blue cloth cover, beat up old book nothing else written on it. And so I opened it up and I was like, oh, he probably wrote on every page of this book, flip, 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 kept flip. He wrote on one page and I blew it up and it says, my writing or my ability to write, what am I doing with it? And I said, and that's his handwriting. And I was like, I got goosebumps when I talk about it because I said, okay, dad, I got it. All right. I got it. Thanks. <laughs> Terry, I have goosebumps. Oh my God. What an amazing message to receive. <laughs> yeah. That one was pretty wild that I was like, so I'm sure he's still standing here like, well, come on kid. So when you just said, write your book, that's why I instantly got so teary eyed because I was like, Oh dad. <laughs> yeah. Oh dad. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Terry, I've just loved being here with you. Thank you for, uh, Thank you for having me on your podcast. And, and I just want to say, everyone listening, thank you for being here. We need you right now. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So how do folks get a hold of you? How do they find your books? Oh, probably the easiest is uh, jacobnordby.com. A lot of people go Norby and then they don't find it. So yeah, jacobnordby.com is probably the easiest place to find all the things. Awesome. All right. Oh, yes. And in show notes, I'll have that, that link. Yeah, oh, sorry. Okay. No, I'll just make sure there's a separate link for the, the, yes. the, the journaling program. I'll make sure you have that as well. Yes. Yeah. Everybody check show notes and I'll be sure to put it out on socials as well so that everyone can find that. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, again, just such a joy. My heart just is overflowing. So thank you for, for everything, for being here and all you do. So, all right. Thanks for helping me get my day started really well, Terry. All right. Good. <laughs> all right. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember until next time. Be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock here. Just wanted to thank you again for being a part of this healing space and my hashtag hope for healing journey. Thank you for sharing, liking, inviting others to join, listening in. Uh, you've really helped this show blossom. It has now been downloaded in 136 countries and 
is in the top 2% globally out of 3.2 million shows, which is just amazing. And it's all because of you and your tuning in and inviting others and sharing and liking and loving. And your reviews on Apple really help too. My goal is to hit 100 five-star reviews uh, by the end of the year. And I am closing in on that. So if you are listening in on Apple or Apple Podcasts, please go and rate the show and leave a review if you absolutely love it. And uh, I would be most appreciative. Also, if you would like to receive my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter, please be sure to go to terrywellbrock.com. It's T-E-R-I, just one R, W-E-L-L. B R O C K dot com. And I have a uh, a gift to send you for signing up for that monthly Hope for Healing newsletter. Plus, there are many other resources listed on that page, including a resource library. All right. Thanks. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.